Welcome to the Possibility of Today radio show. This weekly series mixes entertainment with inspiration and information to help you learn how to live in a different way and take advantage of all the possibilities of today. Do you want to find the way to your something more and live life to the fullest? Then you're in the right place. Host Sybil Shavis will guide you through an exciting journey of self-discovery and transformation so you can be entertained, be inspired, and be informed. Now here's Sybil. All right, let me ask you something. Are you happy? I know we hear that question, right, from time to time. But I mean, what does it even mean to be able to answer yes to that question? Have you thought about that? Because I know I'm always asking people like, hey, you know, how are you feeling? How are you doing? For the most part, everyone will be like, oh, I'm good. You know, things are going well. But does that mean that you're happy? Interestingly enough, Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky who's this professor and researcher at UCLA, says that there are essentially two things that you need to have in order to, you know, really be able to say, yeah, I'm completely happy. The first is that you've got to feel that you're experiencing like positive emotions regularly as you're moving through the day. You know, you're happy, you feel joy, affection, love, laughter, all that good stuff. And the second condition is that you have the feeling that your life's going well, right? And things are coming together. The various aspects of your life are moving in the right direction. You feel like you're on purpose. You're happy with your career, your relationships, your financial situation, et cetera. According to Dr. Lubomirsky, if you can honestly say yes to both of these things, the positive emotions and also the feeling that, you know, the various aspects of your life are going well, then you're happy. Listen to how Dr. Lubomirsky explained it on an episode of Conversation with Great Minds. Happiness essentially has two components. So the first component is the experience of positive emotions, joy, um, serenity, curiosity, uh, affection. Uh, And the second component is the feeling, having the feeling that your life is going well, that you're progressing towards your life's goal. So you really need both of those components to be a truly happy person. Interesting, right? So what's the verdict? Would you say that you satisfy those two conditions? I mean, can you say that you have regularly as you're moving through the day, the positive emotions flowing, the joy, the love, etc.? And can you also say that you're completely satisfied with every aspect of your life, you know, and moving in the right direction with your relationship, your career, your financial situation, just all the things that are important to your overall living? Or would it be more accurate to say, you know, that you have those good days, obviously, where the positive emotions are flowing and you feel comfortable about the things in your life and that you're moving in the right direction, but then you also have those other things and those other days where you don't necessarily feel happy, the happiness isn't just flowing, or there may be certain aspects of your life in general, that you're just, you know, trying to get somewhere else with, and you're not completely satisfied, at least as it is today, with where you are. Well, you want to hear something else that's also interesting? If you can't answer yes to both of those conditions and say, you know, 100% of the time you meet this definition of happiness that Dr. Lubomirsky shared, then you're absolutely not alone because over the past half century in the United States, although we've made these huge economic and technological leaps, we're clearly much more technologically advanced and clearly have more wealth than we did a half century ago, even in light of the fact that recently we've been working through this economic downturn, we're much more advanced and wealthy than we were a half century ago, and we've taken these huge strides forward. But do you know what hasn't accompanied that growth? Our overall happiness. In fact, according to a study that was launched at the United Nations, the happiest countries in the world are all in Northern Europe. And guess what the number one country is when it comes to happiness? Denmark. Listen to this clip from a recent episode of 2020 about the research that showed that Denmark actually is the happiest country. 
But if you mine all the databases of universities and research centers, you will find that the happiest place on Earth is Denmark. Cold, dreary, unspectacular Denmark. Interesting, right? And also, according to the study, when it comes to happiness as a nation, the U.S. isn't even in the top 10 of 178 nations when it comes to happiness. According to this research done by ABC News, despite the fact that we're the superpower and we've got all of this stuff going for us, when it comes to happiness, the United States is ranked number 23. For the past decade, social scientists and pollsters have given elaborate questionnaires to hundreds of thousands of people around the globe. And while we may be number one in wealth and power, when it comes to happiness, the good old USA is number 23. I just find that so interesting, don't you? I mean, and if you think that happiness is something that you personally could have a little more of in your life, then obviously you're just not alone. And today's show is all about this topic of happiness and specifically what researchers are referring to as our happiness set point. Have you heard of that term before? Your happiness set point is actually your happiness equilibrium point. And there's all this research that says, you know, when good things happen, our sense of happiness rises. Obviously, I'm sure you've experienced that. And then on the other hand, of course, when bad things happen, it decreases our personal happiness. But eventually, you know, as time goes on or we work through things, we return to our happiness set point, our equilibrium. And that, of course, raises the question, right? You know, are there specific things that we can and should be doing so that we can increase our personal happiness set point? I mean, we all want the highest set point possible, right? Clearly, we don't want the fake, annoying happiness, you know, where we just pretend that everything is all rainbows and butterflies because that's not real or lasting. But obviously, the higher our happiness set point, the better. We want it high enough, of course, so that day after day we can wake up, we can feel good, we're ready to go, ready to move through the day and feel good about the things that we have going on in our life and our relationships I mean, because on any given day, right, it matters how you feel. Have you noticed that like when you wake up and you're just kind of feeling off? I mean, it can really change the way that you experience that entire day, right? And what you do and how you move through it. But when we're feeling, you know, happier at our best, it's just easier to deal with whatever it is, you know, that life is going to throw at us or the challenges that come our way. So we're going to discuss that question of, you know, can you really increase this happiness set point? And then we're also going to discuss, you know, just those people that seem to always be happy. I mean, have you wondered why is it that some people, no matter what they have going on, they just seem happier? And it's easy to assume, right, that the reason why they're consistently happier is because things are just going right, or they're just wired that way. They have like a happy gene and they're just those bubbly type of people. But is that really all that's going on? Or is it that they're actually doing certain things that are helping them elevate their happiness set point, you know, so that they are bubbly and happy and are bringing that attitude to everything they experience? Because if there really are things that we can do personally, to raise our happiness set point, I mean, most likely we would all sign up to do them, right? And that's what I just found fascinating because although we may have assumed that our happiness set point is determined solely by our genes or our upbringing or the things that we have going on in our life, like our health and our work and our financial situation, that's actually not the case. According to a lot of research, Our happiness set point is heavily influenced by our choices, our inner attitudes, how we approach the day, what we choose to do as we move through the day, how we look at things. It has way more to do with our inner attitude than it does with 
anything that we have going on in our life. Dr. Daniel Gilbert from Harvard has actually found that many of us have this impact bias. And that essentially is when this simulator in our mind that judges what we consider is good or bad malfunctions. And so then what happens is we assume things like our financial situation, our health, our work, our relationships are impacting our happiness or preventing us from actually being happy. But that's not really the case. It's not the condition that's causing us to not be happy or preventing us from doing it. It's our perspective on it, our attitude about it. As Dr. Gilbert explained from his research, it showed that if something has happened more than three months ago, there's no reason from a science perspective or what his research showed, there's no reason why it should be impacting your happiness set point. But if it is, it may be because of your frame of mind, your perspective on what's happening, your attitude. It's fascinating. Check out what he said during a TED speech. The research that my laboratory has been doing, that economists and psychologists around the country have been doing, have revealed something really quite startling to us. Something we call the impact bias, which is the tendency for the simulator to work badly. For the simulator to make you believe that different outcomes are more different than in fact they really are. Winning or losing an election, gaining or losing a romantic partner, getting or not getting a promotion, passing or not passing a college test, on and on, have far less impact, less intensity, and much less duration than people expect them to have. In fact, a recent study, this almost floors me, a recent study showing how uh, major life traumas affect people suggests that if it happened over three months ago, with only a few exceptions, it has no impact whatsoever on your happiness. Isn't that research just so interesting? I mean, now, of course, right, when things happen or go wrong in our life, we feel the effects immediately. There's no denying that. But after time passes and, you know, we obviously go through the acceptance of whatever it is that happened, the way the process can work is that then we return to our happiness set point. But let's be real, right? A lot of times that does not happen. It's like there's a cloud hanging over us or there are circumstances that have to be dealt with that just seem to be continual. And we arrive at the conclusion that that's preventing us from being happy or getting to the happiness set point that we really should be at. But according to the science and the research, there's nothing that's preventing us from getting there except our frame of mind and our perspective. Now, if you're like I was when I first heard this information, I was like, come on. Like, that's kind of got to be stretching things. There are definitely things that can happen that will just forever, or at least for years, you know, be directly tied to your happiness set point. I mean, I know I can think back to some times where I had challenges or I just found out some really bad news. And of course, that affected the way I felt for way longer than three months. I mean, there are things that just never go back to being the same. And so of course, I'm not going to be as happy. But then I started thinking about it more and more. And I was thinking, okay, maybe what happened was there really was this simulator in my mind that was making me think, oh yeah, this is impacting my happiness set point, this condition or circumstance or whatever it is that had gone wrong. And maybe this simulator was also making me think, you know, that something had to change or more time had to pass before I could start, you know, feeling better about things, before my happiness set point returned to where it should be. And then I came across another piece of Dr. Gilbert's research that had me floored because it was about this thing that he calls a psychological immune system. And essentially it's a tool that we can use. And if we use it the right way, we can literally do the right things that are going to get us to this higher happiness set point, regardless of the condition or the changes or whatever the external circumstance is that happened. Now, clearly we're going to have that initial reaction 
because we're human when we find out something has changed. But what may be happening and we don't even realize it is that the simulator in our mind is making us assume that things are going to take longer or things have to change before we can actually get to our happiness set point. Because as Dr. Gilbert explains, we have this immune system and what that means is that happiness can be synthesized and we can change our minds and make sure that we feel better about whatever it is that's going on in our world. Listen to what he said during this TED speech. Because happiness can be synthesized. Human beings have something that we might think of as a psychological immune system, a system of cognitive processes, largely non-conscious cognitive processes that help them change their views of the world so that they can feel better about the worlds in which they find themselves. I just thought that was so interesting. And again, we're not talking about fake happiness or happiness that isn't real or like when we're in denial and pretending that serious things aren't really serious and don't have to be dealt with. But it's just that understanding that maybe there really is this simulator that's gone wrong in our mind or that's malfunctioned and it's impacting our happiness set point, but we have this immune system that we could be using and should be. I mean, it's no different if you think about it than like when you have a cold and we know that we have this immune system that we can like pump vitamin C into or echinacea or whatever it is that we do to boost our immune system. And by doing that, it's going to help get us healthy again and feeling good. And it's the same thing here, right? Like we have this immune system that we should be tapping into and pushing things into it that will then impact our happiness set point and make certain that we're correcting that malfunction that may potentially be happening with this simulator. Actually, to that point, did you hear about this experiment that was done on a pair of identical twins? It proved this exact point because they're identical twins, right? So they have the same genes, you know, everything is the same. But one of them is happy and the other isn't. And they both have challenging conditions going on with their life. The happy twin has issues with her business and the unhappy twin also has issues with her career. But the interesting thing is, is that the happy twin, despite the conditions and the challenges, she has essentially made certain that the simulator in her mind isn't malfunctioning or she tapped into her her immune system so that it stopped malfunctioning. And so she had a completely different outlook on her life and on her future. And that, of course, raised her happiness set point. And on the other hand, of course, the unhappy twin had this negative outlook. She hadn't corrected the simulator in her mind. And she thought she's never going to get out of this challenging situation. It's never going to get better. It's always going to be awful. She didn't tap into her immune system. And as a result, she didn't feel good about her life. She was unhappy. And her happiness set point didn't return to the equilibrium where it could be. Check out this clip from 2020 where both the happy twin and the unhappy twin are essentially describing their outlook They both have challenges going on financially with their businesses and their career, but listen to how the happy twin describes how she's going to work through the challenges and how she looks at them versus how the unhappy twin describes her circumstances and what she thinks about the future. Her business has hit a rough patch lately. Good girl. How's your business doing? You know what? It's good. It's slow. So cute. Are you optimistic? I'm very optimistic. I have goals. I know where I want to be by um, next summer. I have definite goals that I expect to meet. Cat, the unhappy twin, has a completely different outlook on the future. I don't feel like I'm progressing as much as I want to in my job or just the financial situation. So um, a lot of times that it just feels like it just weighs on me too much and I just feel like I'm not going to get out of it. Fascinating, right? Now, I used to think in the past, honestly, if people were happy 
despite the fact that they had all this drama going on in their life, that they were you know, glazing over the situation or they were in denial. And it was only going to be a matter of time before everything that was happening in their lives set in. And today, even, I genuinely feel that you have to be careful about that fake and cheesy happiness or pretending, you know, to be happy when you're really not happy and you're not dealing with the real issue or pretending that certain things aren't happening. But, and this is a big but, you also have to put your happiness immune system to good use and not let the simulator in your mind go wrong and convince you that you can't be happy until time passes or something changes or something improves because it's just not true. And it's what the science is showing us that happiness really can be synthesized or we can tap into this immune system. And it's not that it creates fake happiness. It just literally changes the way that you process situations and the way you frame them in your mind. And I get it if you are skeptical about this because I used to be too, but I have personally tested this out and it's just like all the research and the data is showing. You can adjust your happiness set point and increase it by doing certain things. And it's like that quote by Mildred Barthel explains that happiness is a choice. It's not an automatic response. And that is where I had it wrong for so long because I assumed, oh, certain things in my life will be this way or that way and this way or that way, and then I'll automatically be happy. But what really has to happen is that you have to choose this happiness and choose to do the things that are going to influence and increase your set point, and then that's how you become happy. You've got to take action and do certain intentional activities. Listen to what Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky shared again about our ability to increase our happiness. The intentional activities that we can choose to engage in, the things that we do and think every day of our lives, by those things we could increase or decrease our happiness. Again, that's interesting, right? Another piece of interesting information about this happiness set point. And the reality is there really are people who know exactly how to do this. We saw the happy twin do it. And there's other people that understand how to work this immune system and make certain that this simulator in their mind is framing things the way that they really should be framed. And it's not about the circumstances in their life necessarily that are creating their happiness. It's the way that they are seeing them regardless of what's going on. And interestingly enough, when you do that, right, and you have this happiness set point, then that really influences the way you experience the day, the way things happen. And even there's data that shows the happier you are, the easier it is for you to create success in your life. And the really cool thing is that we can actually control and increase our happiness set point because it all comes down to how we are moving through the day, the intentional activities like Dr. Sonia Lubomirsky was describing that will just increase our happiness set point. And there are people who are consistently doing the right things day after day. I call it, you know, the ideal daily four mix because I'm convinced if we can just do four things right, and move through our days doing these four things, we really can elevate our own happiness set point and increase our success and feel better and just all the stuff that we really want. So we are going to get into all of that and these four things and what we should be doing every day. Stick around. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Possibility of Today on webtalkradio.net. We just were talking about this happiness set point and the fact that we have an immune system that we can use, and there are literally things that we can be doing every day to elevate our happiness set point. And of course, 
once we do that, we're equipped to handle whatever comes our way. We can create, you know, the success that we want for our life. It's just we have the right type of energy and happiness flowing into everything that we're doing. So I have what I call the ideal daily four mix. And it just means that you make sure you're doing four things to cover off on those things that are going to determine your happiness set point. As Dr. Lubomirsky was explaining, just making certain that you're doing these four intentional things that will increase your happiness. And they all work together to essentially give you what you need on any given day. So the four things are, number one, you want to make sure that you are taking at least one step forward during the day towards something that you want for your life, you know, whether it's your job or your relationship or whatever it is that you have decided, you want to make certain that you have thought about one thing that you can do that will allow you to take a step forward and get closer to where it is you want to be. The second thing is, you know, to at least take 10 minutes out of the day to just slow down your mind and relax. I personally am a fan of meditation, but you can also do yoga or go on a walk. Just anything that allows you to slow down and ideally turn off the thoughts in your mind completely. And the third thing you want to do is to practice gratitude. Obviously, we hear this all the time, but to just be really appreciative and make you know, bookmarks in your mind of the things that you appreciate as you're moving through the day and just also be thoughtful about how you are interacting and relating to other people and genuinely just trying to also kind of, you know, spread the happiness or interact with people in a real positive way. And the final thing, the fourth thing is to just make certain that you move through the day focusing your attention on really experiencing the moment in front of you. So that's it. If you can just do these four things, then you have the ideal daily four mix and you're doing those right intentional activities that are going to increase your happiness set point. So let's get into them. First one is to make sure every day that you're doing something that allows you to know you are taking a step forward in the direction that you want to go with something in your life. You know, a lot of people like to talk about living on purpose or following their passions. I honestly used to wonder, like, how do I know that? Like, how do I know if I am following my passion or I'm living on purpose? According to Caroline Miss, the American author, you don't feel drained and ultimately you just know. And you don't feel like you're, quote unquote, losing life. Listen to what she shared in an interview with Oprah. You don't feel like you have to compromise who you are. Mm -hmm. It feels right. You know, you know, because you don't feel like this isn't costing me my power. This isn't costing me my psyche. This isn't costing me my soul. Okay. I, I don't feel confused in some deep level. I'm not drained. I, I can be tired after a day's work. But I'm not psychically drained where I feel like I'm losing life. I thought that was a real great explanation because it is kind of like one of those nebulous topics. You know, are you on purpose? Are you doing the right things as it relates to your career? You know, are you moving in the right direction? It's kind of hard to pin that down. In fact, when I was kind of trying to explore this question myself, what was really helpful and what I think you've got to do is kind of open yourself up to doing a self audit. And again, I highly recommend doing one of these things. It's just, you take the time and realize, okay, this is what's working and this is what really isn't working. And you just continually ask yourself questions like, you know, what do you really want? You know, and how do you want to feel as you're moving through the day? And how are your relationships? And I would just ask myself all these kind of you know, mushy questions, you know, that I had, of course, never asked myself before. But by pushing myself to do that, and then, of course, taking the steps every day to change whatever I realized needed to be changed, I felt that more and more I was living, quote unquote, on purpose. 
And I think that that's really important and why it's one of the things in the ideal daily four mix is to make certain that at least one thing that you are doing, you're carving out the time to take at least one step forward towards whatever it is that you want for your life. And we know from that research that Dr. Lubomirsky shared, you know, when you can answer yes, that you feel like you're moving in the right direction with the things in your life, then that directly impacts your happiness set point. So that's why you want to make sure every day you're doing at least one thing that's going to allow you to answer yes to that question. And that takes us to the second thing that's part of the ideal daily four mix and something you want to make sure you're doing every day. And that's literally just taking at least 10 minutes out of the day to just stop and to pause and calm and just rest your mind. You know, like I was saying earlier, I'm a fan of meditation. I didn't used to be. And I thought, how on earth do people just sit there silently and not think about all the zillions of things that they really should be doing or taking care of or whatever else is running through their mind. But I just kept seeing more and more research about the benefits of meditation, positively impacts a person's life and their sense of purpose and improves creative thinking and how good people feel and it reduces stress. I mean, the benefits right go on and on. Actually, to that point, I came across this research by Dr. Davidson, who is a neuroscientist and he has spent his career essentially studying the brain. Listen to what he said on 2020 about meditation being one of the most important discoveries in neuroscience in the last decade. Because as he shared, we finally have this proof that meditation can change the brain in so many positive ways. His new data claims that if a person sits quietly, their brain will show noticeable changes in just two weeks. In many ways, this is the most important idea in neuroscience in the last decade. We can take responsibility and change the brain in more positive ways. Interesting, right? And no matter which way you turn, you're hearing about all these benefits of meditation. And then, of course, you're hearing from really successful people how they meditate. Actually, listen to this clip. It's from ABC's morning show where Jerry Seinfeld was being interviewed by George Stephanopoulos. Jerry Seinfeld shared that he had been meditating for 40 years. And then there's also a doctor on who talked about all of the new recent findings from the American Heart Association that they've discovered because people meditate. I've been doing 40 years this year, 40 years. You know how I was describing it to somebody? I was saying, it's like having a, you know how your phone has a charger? It's like if you had a charger for your whole body and mind. So this is not a religion. It's a technique. It's compatible with all kinds of religions. What it really does is try to get the stress out of your life. And now scientists are finding real health benefits. Well, the whole idea is that we have very active, noisy levels of the mind, that we sort of got to go here, got to do this, got to do that. But every human being has deep within a settled, calm, silent level of their mind. And this transcendental meditation is just an effortless way to have the active, excited mind settle down, experience that inner calm. At the same time, the body gains a very deep state of rest. That rest eliminates stress. You have more energy, wakes up the brain, and you guys can do your job. The American Heart Association just came out with a study a month ago that showed that transcendental meditation highly effective for reducing high blood pressure, for reducing risk of stroke, and actually reducing mortality rates by almost 50% by pe from people who've been meditating for five years. So obviously, you know, after hearing all of the research and the benefits just left and right, I knew that I needed to keep pushing myself to keep at it and keep working at getting better and better at meditating. And what really turned out to be the key for me was making meditation as easy and enjoyable for myself as possible because there's all different ways that you can meditate. And I knew if I could just find one that worked for me, then I would be good and I would be more apt to do it every day. And so today we actually have a meditation expert who's going to join us on the show. Her name is Kelsey Winchester and she's a second generation American Buddhist and a yoga teacher. And she also has just a lot of expertise in terms of the practice of meditation. She works at a company called Samadhi Cushions, and she just really has some good tips for meditation and how to really make it easy 
and as beneficial as possible. Listen to this excerpt from our interview. Explain to me the difference in your mind, if any, between yoga and meditation in terms of kind of how it makes you feel or what it does for you or how you practice it. I mean, for me, it's got a lot of similarities. But for a lot of my students, I've noticed yoga is just a good way of slowing down and doing some exercise. My thought is if it gets you to slow down and kind of look at where your mind is going Mm -hmm. and look at how you're treating the people around you, then it's doing your job. Would you say that one is easier to kind of start with than the other, like in terms of yoga or meditation, or should we just kind of try to do both? I would start with meditation. Really, five minutes in the morning can make a huge difference. What should we do during those five minutes? You can just take a seat Find something that's comfortable so you can work with your mind and not what's hurting. Just try to watch yourself breathe. Just watch your breath go in and out. And when you're going to have thoughts, that's normal and natural. Just say, oh, I'm thinking, and then come back to watching your breathing. Have you noticed sometimes, I know when I first started meditating and I would try the silent meditation, you know, that's when a lot of the fears and the worries and the anxieties come up like big time, like magnified. Oh, yeah. I had my practice of kind of just letting them rise to the surface. And then I noticed that they were there. And honestly, I the way that my mind kind of works, I have to kind of shine light on them, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I would be like, you know what? No, it's okay. Like that's, you know, that's just your mind. It's just what I call your chief negativity officer in your yeah. mind, like bringing up nonsense, I would really kind of try to shine the light of truth, like it's going to be okay, don't worry, don't worry, and then allow that the meditation practice to be whatever it was, and not be like, oh, no, I'm not meditating, I'm not silent. What I noticed is eventually I got better and better at kind of reeling those thoughts in, and so then I could have that silence, you know, but it took some conditioning, and I think if I hadn't stuck with it, I wouldn't have ever gotten to that point where, you know, I really could just sit there. I had a very similar experience. You're always going to have emotions and stuff that comes up that's, you know, totally normal. It'd be impossible to get rid of them. You don't have to let it take over. Yeah. You know, the longer you sit and the more you become, it's a practice. Working with your mind is, you know, you've got to work with it. It's not ever going to just be ready to go and no more thinking and you can just be calm all of a sudden. Right. <laughs> I mean, I think that's such a, it's such a true point. It is something that you just continually practice. And for me, I think what helped is just letting it be whatever it was, but just committing to the discipline of doing it every day. Yes. And letting it unfold however that meant it was going to unfold. And I loved also what you said what really stuck out is about making it simple so it's not like something that feels like arduous or oh my gosh I have to sit and just be silent but I loved the way you said about making it simple and then making it comfortable because you were talking about a cushion and I know actually the company you work for too has these great cushions right yeah what's what's an easy way to make it comfortable you know what what can I use from a product standpoint what would you recommend what we have is this big foam rectangular cushion they're called gomdens and they're probably the best for most people especially us westerners who are not used to sitting on the floor all the time right and if you can sit on something like that or any kind of cushion you have around the house as long as you get your knees below your hips if you're sitting cross-legged so your spine can be straight you're probably going to be relatively comfortable if you're not sitting for you know 10 hours okay so the position that you're sitting in matters not because of you know oh if you you can do meditation wrong but it's just like you're just trying to get comfortable yeah because yeah? if you're not going to be able to work with your mind if you're worrying about oh my back hurts my knee hurts my leg hurts so true <laughs> right it's like you take at least take away some of the things right that you know your mind is going to go and uh wander through exactly and that's what these cushions do are there any other products or tools that you guys offer that would be helpful for us to take a look at the Zafuks, they're around, they're traditionally a Zen-style cushion. Where do we go to check out the products you guys have? If you just go to our homepage, 
www.samadhichristians.com. All of our Christians are right there. Perfect. Kelsey, if there, there was like one tip that you could give, what would that be? Just get on the cushion. <laughs> I love that. We have a model around here that we have on the back of some of our shirts. It says, don't just do something, sit there. <laughs> I love that. Honestly, I think that has been, I think that's a great piece of advice because that's been my, one of the lessons I've learned is, you know, just sit and just do it. You know, even if it's five minutes a day, let it be whatever it is and grab your cushion, make yourself comfortable, make certain you're sitting in the right position and just breathe. That's exactly right. Even if you're having one of those days where your mind's moving a million miles a minute, if you can just get on your cushion. Right, especially get on your cushion on those days, right? Thank you so much for joining us and giving us all that great information. It's been really, really helpful. Welcome. I was glad to be here. Thanks again to Kelsey Whitaker and Samadhi Cushions for that great advice if you are looking for the link to samadicushions.com, you can drop by my Web Talk radio page and the link is there so you can check it out. I really do think it's just about creating that space in your day and, you know, like she said, grabbing your cushion and sitting. And we know the benefits are endless. And as we've been talking about, just directly tied to your happiness set point. And so now we've talked about the you know first two ingredients in this ideal daily form mix you know, making sure in one way or another every day that you're taking a step forward some way that you feel like you should be in that your life is moving in the right direction. And we just finished talking about the second thing, which is meditation. And then that takes us now to the third thing that you want to make sure you're doing every day, which is moving through the day, you know, and really noticing what you appreciate, you know, at least one thing that just kind of sticks out and you're like, okay, that's something really good about the day or about my relationship or about my job or my career, whatever it is. Actually, to that point, Deborah Norville, the news anchor, wrote this book. And she recommends also finding one thing, just one thing a day that you appreciate. And she says if you do this, and she's also done her own research and found that you can literally improve the way that you see and experience everything. Listen to what she shared. One of the most exciting things about what I learned in my research, there are some people who will just always see the glass as half full. They're just unbelievably optimistic and yay for them. But if you are one of those people who tends to be the Nancy negative of the world, you can change. And here's how you do it. It's very simple. Find one thing today that made your life brighter. And I've always had a sense that my life goes better when I focus on what's working as opposed to the sometimes long list of stuff that isn't working. What she says is so true, right? I mean, haven't you noticed that? Like when you are focused on the things that are working, things just have a tendency to work more and to fall into place. It's like you get less frustrated because you're focusing on the right things. It's like that quote, I don't know if you've heard it, by Dale Carnegie. It says about 90% of the things in our life are right. Make sure you're focusing on the 90% that's right and not the 10% that's not right. Which, of course, it's easy to fall into the trap of just always focusing on what's wrong. But if you kind of just make that mental switch in your mind of, okay, I'm going to look at this differently, I've noticed it just makes it a lot easier to do that. And in addition to the whole gratitude thing, you know, being point number three, Another part of that was just really making certain you're doing the right thing, you know, with your relationships and your interactions, you're having positive interactions as you move through the day. And interestingly enough, I was watching this great interview on Oprah's Masterclass with Cindy Crawford. And while I was watching it, I was like, oh, this is like a perfect example because she's integrating all of these things in the ideal daily form mix into her day. Listen to how Cindy Crawford explained that she focuses on other people in her life, you know, and really trying to make them happy and how, in fact, she's happy that it's no longer just about her because she has family and she has her children and, you know, she's really focused on giving and showing them unconditional love. Listen to what she shared. I think having come from this incredible place of unconditional love for my own mother, um, 
that gave me confidence that I w I could and wanted to give that to my own kids. You know, it's not like I have to try to do it. It's just like that's what I know. It's in my DNA. So you know, I love being a mom, and I also love how kids call you on your your stuff. You know, they don't care that I'm Cindy Crawford. They don't. I'm just their mom, right? And. It came at a time in my life where I was really ready for that too. Where it's like, okay, thank God, it doesn't have to be about me anymore. I just thought that was a really interesting example, and you know, it just is the essence of the point of you know, really just trying to focus on you know what you're bringing to the relationships and the unconditional love and the happiness and all that stuff, and it all clearly plays into your own happiness set point. And that brings us to the final and fourth part of the ideal daily mix. And I wanted to end on this one because it's what I consider honestly to be the most important part of the ideal daily mix. And that is turning all your intention and all your focus on the moment in front of you. And a lot of people call this, you know, quote unquote, being present or being fully attentive to the here and now and what's right in front of you or being mindful. This was something that I personally started working on and practicing in the later years of my life, better late than never, but it has had honestly one of the most profound impacts on my life because it's just changed the way that I move through the day. And you may be asking, okay, how on earth is focusing on the moment in front of you related to your happiness set point? but it's directly related because your mind isn't wandering when you are being mindful and focused on the moment in front of you. And there is a lot of science and research that shows the correlation between being able to do that and of course your happiness and your happiness set point. Listen to an excerpt from a TED talk by Matt Killingsworth from Harvard University. And he's speaking about the positive effects of being able to do this, right? To focus your complete attention on the moment in front of you. And as he goes on to explain, there is this correlation between your happiness set point and your ability to stay focused on the present moment. Listen to how Matt Killingsworth explains it. Have our minds stray away from the present. This guy's sitting here working on his computer and yet he could be thinking about the vacation he had last month, wondering what he's gonna have for dinner, Maybe he's worried that he's going bald. <laughs> this graph shows happiness on the vertical axis, and you can see that bar there representing how happy people are when they're focused on the present, when they're not mind-wandering. As it turns out, people are substantially less happy when their minds are wandering than when they're not. Now, you might look at this result and say, okay, sure, on average, people are less happy when they're mind-wandering, but surely, when their minds are straying away from something that wasn't very enjoyable to begin with, at least then, mind-wandering should be doing something good for us. Nope. As it turns out, people are less happy when they're mind-wandering, no matter what they're doing. For example, people don't really like commuting to work very much. It's one of their least enjoyable activities. And yet, they are substantially happier when they're focused only on their commute than when their mind is going off to something else. So as Matt Killingsworth explained, you know, really being able to focus on the moment in front of you is directly tied to your happiness set point to make certain that your mind isn't wandering. And for me, it was a practice and it continues to be a practice that I just work on. You know, anytime I feel that my mind is wandering or I see it and I notice it, I just try to, you know, gently remind myself, okay, focus on what you're doing and kind of pull my mind back. And as I've just tried to intentionally do that, and it's been a part of my ideal daily four mix, I have just gotten better and better as I've practiced day after day. So I think it's definitely something if you're not doing that you want to try. And to that point, listen to how Cindy Crawford explains she integrates her mindful practice or really focusing on the here and now and staying in the moment in front of her. I thought she just described it really well. Check it out. My goal in life is just to be present. It's really about making choices, what you're going to do with your time and your energy, and then, and then fully being there. Part of being present, you know, besides just being in the moment, is 
being willing to go where the present takes you, even if it's difficult or hard work or not fun. Being willing to go down that road because that's where you, you know, when, when you come out the other side, that's when you really grow. That to me is like the richness of life. You have to take the good and the bad. I just thought that was such a profound and helpful description of what it really means to be present, you know, and to bring our highest and best self to the moment in front of us and just experience it no matter what it is. And the reality is, is as we've been talking about, you know, we can really influence our happiness set point and the way that we show up to every moment. That's the possibility that we have today. And of course, every day that follows, you know, to really make certain we're doing those intentional things that are going to just make us feel better, that are going to increase our happiness set point. And that's what the ideal daily four mix is all about. Because if we can just consistently do these four things, we know it's going to influence everything. And again, it's just about making certain every day, you know, that in one way or another, we know that we are taking a step forward in the right direction, in the direction that we believe in. We're getting in our meditation practice. We're practicing gratitude and finding at least one thing in the day that we appreciate. And of course, also being very thoughtful about our relationships with other people and ensuring that we're having positive interactions. And then finally, you know, really just making certain we're focusing on being present and stopping ourselves anytime we realize that our mind is wandering. And if we can just do those four things, we know the positive benefits are endless. And that is the possibility of today, you know, to start today integrating these things into your day. And that's also the show for the day. So thank you so much for listening. And I hope you enjoy your day. I hope you start today integrating this daily four mix. Have a great week. We will catch up again next week. And as always, live today better than yesterday. To learn more about making a change in your life, visit possibilityoftoday.com. Don't forget to like Sybil's Facebook page by clicking the Facebook icon on her Web Talk Radio profile page. You can also follow her on Twitter using the handle at Sybil Chavis. Thanks for listening this week. And remember to be entertained, be inspired, be informed.